Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and special guest host Kelly Barner with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Scott. I'm always glad to be with you. And of course, I want to wish you happy wear your favorite light blue shirt day. <laughs> it's really a thing. It's on the calendar. It's on the global calendar. Uh, uh, national holiday <laughs> at the very least. Uh, but kidding aside, big, big show here today is we're going to be interviewing the supply chain leader of an organization that has moved mountains in the last couple of years, leading a noble mission in a global battle against the pandemic. Kelly, should be an intriguing conversation, right? Yes, I'm sure we're all going to learn a lot over the next bit of time. Agreed, agreed. So with no further ado, I want to welcome in our newest friend, Jim Caffone, Vice President, Pfizer Global Supply Chain. Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well today, Scott and Kelly. Thanks uh, for having me here today. I really appreciate it. You bet. Well, we appreciate you uh, carving some time out. I can only imagine, Kelly, uh, how many plates, he, how many full plates Jim's got, him and his team. But uh, where we want to start, before we dive into uh, kind of um, our main topics here today, Jim, we want to get to know you a little better, right? So uh, we like starting our conversations with, you know, tell us where you grew up, where you're from, and give us some anecdotes about that upbringing. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe I'll start off with, uh, so I grew up a uh, small town in uh, northern New Jersey, about okay. 10 minutes away from uh, Giant Stadium, uh, 15 minutes away outside the Lincoln Tunnel, town called Bloomfield, um, a blue-collar town mostly, Okay, uh, and uh, spent a Giant. lot of time there till I was 17, and then uh, went on to university. Well, all right. So does that make you a Giants fan? I'm always uh, rooting for the underdog. And I think the Giant fans tend to be a little bit more elitist. So I'm a Jet fan. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Jets. Love it. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So one quick follow-up question. Uh, you left town to go to school. Where'd you go to school? I went to uh, University of Rhode Island. So okay. I completely got out of... Uh, semi-city living, and then went up to the beautiful shores of uh, the ocean in Rhode Island. Man, Kelly, he paints quite a picture there, huh? <laughs> I know. And actually, Jim, I wanted to ask you, because I think I have this right. Is it true that in the whole state of New Jersey, you're not allowed to pump your own gas? <laughs> that is true. That is true. We are the only state, uh, well, New Jersey's the only state, but I guess you're not, you're still not allowed to do it. And nobody really understands why, but every time it gets brought up for a vote, for whatever reason, it still stands. So, Man. Well, job creation. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I had no idea, Kelly. The things you learn here. Little factoids, yeah. I've got some Googling to do this afternoon. But, uh, Jim, one final question about your upbringing. Uh, from New Jersey to Rhode Island to wherever you are now, um, what was one food dish in the Cafone household that was inseparable from your, your childhood? Growing up, uh, I would probably say lasagna. Okay. With an Italian last name, that would be it. That would be <laughs> it. That was the one that you always look forward to when you 
came home and you uh, and mom had made it. Yep, that was it. <laughs> Man, okay. Well, uh, I know what we're having for dinner tonight, uh, <laughs> Kelly Barner, making me hungry. All right, so Kelly, we down that we've gotten kind of a little bit about uh, Jen's background. I'm sure there's a yes. lot more there. Uh, we'll try to get to who knows what else might come out in the, today's interview. But where are we going next with Jim Cafone? So we're going to talk a little bit about the bigger picture. Um, so given the leadership role that not only supply chains, but also the pharmaceutical industry has been in over the last couple of years, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your past experience with leadership. Can you talk to us about one key leadership role that particularly formed your own worldview and, and maybe even impacted the trajectory of your career? Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. So would, I think the secret to your question is that the word worldview, right? Mm -hmm. Worldview. So um, probably one of the best roles I had from a global perspective, 2004 to 2007, I was responsible for, uh, I was vice president of our European manufacturing uh, and supply division at a company called Wyeth Pharmaceuticals. Wyeth was eventually purchased by Pfizer. But I think it was my first time in a significant leadership role outside the United States, living outside the United States, and having varying people uh, in my organization where uh, multiculture um, and multilingual, certainly. And, you know, the interesting thing about being in, in the United States versus Europe that I always fascinated me is... In the United States, you drive 100 miles, everybody still speaks the same language. You still see uh, Target, you still see Walmart, you still see a lot of the same uh, Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. When you drive, you know, 100 miles or 100 kilometers in Europe, you could drive through four different languages and six different countries. It's amazing. Yeah. So that was probably the one of the biggest assignments, my late 30s, early 40s, where I really learned a lot. And you were stationed in Europe for that role. That's correct. Yeah, it was one of the things, you know, Kelly, I went, when when I was offered that role, I didn't want to be doing that role from so, sitting in the United States. You know, your your classic American companies like to sort of give people responsibility for geographies outside the United States, but you know, um it it's always better if you can immerse yourself in it is really what it comes down to, you know. Yeah time zones. And I think the other thing too, is I think people appreciate more of, you know, again, this is pre-COVID of being able to see you in their time zone and, and visit travel, those sorts of things. Yes. Yeah. So now that we've sort of walked through your tour up to the current point, tell us a little bit, I mean, most people have heard of Pfizer, but if you would just start us by telling us a little bit more about how you describe Pfizer as a company. And then of course, tell us more about your role there. Yeah. So Pfizer, uh, you know, obviously it's a, it's, it's one of the names nowadays that, you know, most, if not all people know, right. Um, fortunate or, or unfortunately due to uh, you know, a pandemic, yeah. um, you know, but we are um, a company that is probably one of the largest, you know, healthcare providers, uh, manufacturers, and and our purpose is is breakthroughs that change patients' lives. Our goal mm -hmm. every day, every Pfizer employee comes to the office with the intention of, or logging onto their computer these days, right, with the intention of you know uh, supporting a patient, and and. 
it's a pretty noble mission because each one of us, no matter who you are, uh, always, you know, fortunately or unfortunately has, um, you know, a patient around them, right? We all know a patient. Um, the patient in some cases is ourselves or it's a relative or it's a child or something along those lines. But that's really what our goal is. So, um, you know, I can give you all the statistics. You can find it on Pfizer.com, sales, products, all those great things. But that's really, you know, Pfizer, what what we are. Breakthroughs Mm -hmm. that change patients' lives. And how about your role? So I'm the head of our worldwide supply chain. So uh, in a supply chain world of plan, source, manufacture, deliver, I have responsibility for all the planning and I have responsibility for all the delivery globally, uh, including our sales order management functions. And then I have a peer of mine that does all of the um, uh, procurement. And then I have multiple peers that do actually the manufacturing. In In the Pfizer world, we don't just make vaccines. We make solid oral dose tablets. We do work in uh, rare diseases like, you know, for uh, in gene therapy. So we have a multitude of technology uh, platforms. Um, and it's uh, so, you know, my team is, re- again, responsible for the direct direct planning and then also the delivery of those to our patients. Mm-hmm. The last mile. You know, uh, I was really looking forward to meeting you here today, Jim, and learning more from your perspective, especially given the last few years. I had a chance uh, probably about uh, 10 years ago now, I think it was, to visit your uh, uh, Pfizer had a small operation at the time down in Albany, Georgia. And I think I said that right, Kelly. Um, (laughs) There's all kinds of ways we can pronounce uh, different towns in our uh, great state of Georgia. But um, it was fascinating to meet the leaders, to meet some of the team members, to um, see the operation. We had a, we uh, led a small training class down there, and so fast forward now to everything that has transpired and to be able to meet you know one of the uh, global supply chain leaders. Um, this is this is really a treat for a supply chain nerd like me. So where I want to dive into next, uh, Jim, now that. Uh, Kelly's really um, helped our listeners really level set with your background and, and kind of how you view clearly uh, your priority. We just heard there, Kelly, is on the mission. I mean, I love that about um, about a lot of supply chain practitioners. So I'm going to focus in. We all know uh, the noble mission that the Pfizer team has been deeply immersed in, you know, moving mountains. I mean, really doing some things that we never thought could be done uh, just a couple of years ago especially related to the COVID-19 vaccine. So uh, a couple of questions for you, Jim. First off, given all the complexities involved, right? Uh, We were talking pre-show about, you know, when you got a big problem, a lot of folks, I know I've done it before, you kind of admire the problem, you compliment the problem, you're kind of overwhelmed and you never get to, you know, doing something about it. So starting there, when it comes to, you know, disseminating a COVID-19 vaccine around the world, how did how did you and the team uh, put the plan together initially? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and you know, for me to really, I I, I almost want to walk you back to, if I could, um, to you know, I guess it's early two thousand, early twenty twenty, right? And 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 if you could maybe. Um, I want to kind of like put you into the like where we were at the time, right? Sure. So, 
So, you know, in early 2020, basically what happened was is um, the Chinese government, it was January 12th, uh, uploaded the COVID SARS uh, genetic sequence, right? Now, we, um, at the time, you know, we're starting to see quite a lot of patterns around the world because, because of the broad-based portfolio we have, you start to see ordering patterns change, mm. right? You start to see certain categories start to see a tremendous amount of, of uptake. And a lot of it was for our hospital emergency rooms settings, right? So January, early February, we started to see that. We also have, you know, manufacturing operations in China, and we started to get early hand, you know, on what was happening, right? So Pfizer as a company knew that it wanted to contribute to this. You know, that we, we never use the word compete, right? We use the words contribute. And there were a lot of ways that you can contribute during this sort of situation. You could go in it and try to prevent the disease through vaccine technology. You could try to treat the symptoms of the disease once people have it, right? right. And I think what what our CEO was adamant about was trying to contribute anywhere we could. Mm. So when we, and this is specific to the vaccine, right. we didn't really know what kind of vaccine technology we were going to go with. And, and let, let me try to explain that a little further is there's many different types of uh, vaccine technology. You can, you know, there's things such as like what I would call live attenuated viruses there is inactive viruses, there's viral vectors, and then there's this new technology that we went with, which was mRNA, right? When we were talking about contributing, the question is your population in the world is 7.5 to 8 billion people, mm. right? We didn't want to just contribute in the Western world. We didn't want to just contribute 10 million doses or 100 million. We Specifically, we're we're driving ourselves towards really, you know, changing the entire paradigm of how mm. you do this. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, when you were asking the original question, Scott, is in the first quarter of 2020, we didn't really know what technology we were going with. And then it was our CEO working with uh, another company uh, by the name of BioNTech, where we first struck a deal with them for what we thought was this breakthrough technology that didn't allow you to just have 50 million, 100 million doses. You could have billions of doses, right? That which was would, the big- Which would support- you know, The your, world. Yeah. And, as and your, many people as you could in the world. Correct. Right. And your desire to, to really not just make a small dent in the universe, but uh, change the paradigm, as you put it, Jim, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know- you're, you're dealing, I mean, let's, think, let's you know, remember, you know, you're dealing with a worldwide health crisis. You're dealing with something that was spreading around the world exceptionally rapid. And you needed, you, you just needed a breakthrough technology in order to do this. So we bet on this new mRNA vaccine technology, and we bet that technology probably in the March of 2020 timeframe. 
And we bet at that time that we were going to hopefully try to get something on the market, but be able to scale it for billions of doses. So as we were going through that, we were, you know, with our BioNTech partner and, you know, we saw our phase one, phase two trials in April and in May. We selected a final candidate dose in actually July. By the way, we had 42,000 patients in the clinical trial. Right. A big clinical trial, maybe a thousand. This is 42,000. Wow. And in a short amount of time. As well, short amount of time, and it was the most diverse trial we've ever, you know, conducted, right? From a female, male, cultural perspective, all around the world, right? Um, And to make a long story short, we, you know, had we went through um, our phase two, phase three, and it was in sort of the March time frame. I'm sorry, November time frame. Where we we unveil, uh, you know, unveiled all of our phase three trials, and that's where we sort of knew we had a winner. Now, all in that parallel time, from March until November, our team had just about every night was sleepless because we had to build a supply chain for billions of doses using a technology that we had never used before. And let me put it into maybe one more perspective, and 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 then I'll let you sort of, you know, uh, ask me, you know, some other thoughts. But the number one vaccine at the time within Pfizer is a product called Prevnar. So in 2019, we produced 200 million doses, 200 million. In 2021, we produced just over 2 billion doses. And in 2022, all things being equal, we'll produce roughly around three and a half billion doses. Wow. So the, the amount of scale that we went to based on this bet of the mRNA was I, I it's was probably the greatest manufacturing feat since probably Henry Ford and the you know Ford production system. Uh Jim, there's so man. Uh, Kelly, I don't know about you, but my mind is racing with uh, different uh, aspects of this story. And we're just kind of getting out of the gate here. Yeah. But Kelly, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to what uh, what Jim just shared with us. Sure. So I guess the the first thing that comes to mind, given what we've discussed, is that, Jim, you started with us really kind of talking about how each person comes to work every day or turns on their laptop every day, knowing a patient right? Sort of that singular motivating drive to want to make a contribution and to scale from that to the billions of doses, right? And and reproducing the vaccine on that scale. That's an amazing thing. If you can connect sort of the detailed personal connection with that, with that larger mission, mm. um, what I would love to know about, because I remember this window of time that you're talking about, this was sort of when everybody was, well, everybody else was discovering supply chain for the first time. Um, And there was a lot of discussion around how cold Mm. it was going to have to be, right? So people are learning about cold chain logistics. Um, And I would would love to know anything that you're able to share about how your team was receiving new information during that time between, I think you said, March and November, when I'm sure things were relatively fluid because everyone was moving so fast trying to build a supply chain for sort of a moving target. Mm. What was that time like for you and your team? 
Yeah, I, um, here's the best way to sort of describe this. We optimized on volume. How much volume can we, you know, what what is the what is the patient population we could hit, mm. right? And which is one of the reasons why, and again, you know, I credit our CEO for this and 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 the, our vaccine scientists is we knew the mRNA technology, and I can get into a little bit about what that is, but what that basically fundamentally is is software code. So Pfizer became a software provider overnight because what you do is is that you take a piece of the DNA uh, software out of the spike protein. You transcribe that into transcript that into RNA, and then you replicate the RNA, right? Mm. And I, I'm not a virologist. I'm not a scientist. I'm that a makes three person. of us. I think I can safely <laughs> right? say <Yes>. that. <laughs> but what it allows you to do is exceptionally efficient to grow large scale, right? Here's the challenge with RNA, which I think I think you're you're, you're getting at, um, Kelly, is RNA doesn't like heat. Right. So like uh, the analogy I always use is, you know, if you cut an apple and you leave it on your counter, you cut a banana, leave mm-hmm. it on your counter, you come back an hour later, it's browned out. Well, right. if you take a piece of um, RNA and you leave it on your counter, if you could do such a thing, it would brown out in about two nanoseconds. So the, when we we were looking at the fact that if we were going to manufacture this for speed and scale is we would have to go out with a deep frozen and it was minus 80 to minus 90 Celsius. Wow. And and, and you remember right in the first quarter of 2020, even into the second quarter, most people were stating it couldn't be done or it was stupid to be done. Right. Right. So that was another big bet and a big, you know, again, um, another big, what I would call bravery moment inside of Pfizer, because what happened was, is we could have gone out with perhaps a, let's call it less cold version, maybe something that's not at minus 90, maybe it's minus 20, maybe it's two to eight degrees Celsius, but that would take time. Right. We have to reformulate, you'd have to put perhaps preservatives, there's different things you may have to do. And again, I'm not, um, I'm not a, uh, you know, chemistry uh, virologist, right? Um, But we optimized on speed. And we said to ourselves, if we can get this thing out, which we ended up, as you know, getting it out in 10 months, which by the way, the, 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 the previous world record was around 10 years for a vaccine. Unbelievable. Right. Um, Now I, you know, maybe I should correct myself. I think Ebola, uh, I think the Merck, which I have a great degree of respect from, I think they got theirs out in about three to four years. But this was mm. nine months, right? Right. So if we were going to go out with something that, you know, cold chain, non-cold chain, it would have taken us a lot longer. And then you know what happens when you delay therapies to critical patients. Yes. Lives are impacted. That's, That's fundamentally right. So. All right. So much talk about so little time. Uh and Kelly, we're going to uh, make sure Jim has an opportunity to speak to any other, you know, operational hurdles that came with mm-hmm. this this ma- this massive, game-changing, world-changing mission. I mean, it really, it, there's no different way. That might sound dramatic, but it really, lives were on the line and things were being done in a way and in a fashion that had never been done before. 
Um, but I want to go all the way back to where you started your response there, Jim. You know, you, you talked about we, that you and the team wanted to contribute, not compete, you know, and that's where that's one of my favorite parts about what we saw during the pandemic is we saw companies that were fierce competitors work together to serve humanity. And that's going to stick with us for a long time. And, and that's how we were able to working together to achieve uh, and really make sure that the, the, the vaccine was widely available, right? Um, beyond the sci- science behind it, because I can tell you, uh, Miss Beckham, hopefully you're not listening, but uh, I was not the chemistry A student. Uh, so, Jim, thank you for putting it in terms that, that most of us can, can approach. Uh, one, one other thing I think it's really important not to get lost in the shuffle is the 42,000 um, folks that were, that were part of the, the trials, right, to, to, to mitigate the risk and, and, uh, um, and to make sure it was safe for everybody. Jim, you even said it. A thousand people make up a lot of those trials. Forty-two thousand. Kelly, can you imagine the data? Uh, you know, we talk about big data. Uh, you know, can you imagine the uh, what had to be accomplished there, right, to get that in the right hands so the right decisions were made? We can move forward. And all of this, these are just a couple of little, little tidbits. All of this being done in that, with the backdrop that was twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. I mean, this is like fascinating stuff that that businesses will be studying for for uh, decades to come. So, Kelly, I want to give you a chance to comment on on kind of what we were just talking, what I was just sharing there, and then I want to get back and, and talk any other operational hurdles that Jim wants to uh, share with us. Kelly, your thoughts? Sure. No, I, I I think it was a great unifying moment, right? It was like everyone had a role to play. Obviously, you and your team at Pfizer and the the partners that you cooperated with. But it, it allowed certainly people watching from home to learn the power of supply chain even beyond this particular instance. But then all the people, Scott, that you mentioned that were, were part of the trials and were simply willing to be part of the solution. It really was an incredible unifying moment that I think the world needed against the backdrop of some very difficult circumstances. Well said, Kelly. Well said. You know, we, we've got friends at UPS and FedEx and to hear both leaders from both organizations mentioning each other's company names yes. and same conversations. That was, that's unheard, you know, that stuff doesn't take place. That doesn't happen. And uh, so uh, the, this was this one silver lining that's going to stick with all of us for quite some time. Okay. So uh, Jim, I want to give you a chance to weigh in. There's a couple of things we want to chat with you about, uh, but any other operational hurdles and, and how the team was able to overcome them that you want to share with our audience? Yeah, I, I, there was like four main things we were we were really working on, Scott. One is, you know, we had to certainly build out a manufacturing process for billions. We had to build out a network. And it wasn't just steel, you know, stainless steel. It was uh, a network of, you know, providers, as you said, you, you, you know, you said UPS, FedEx, many different uh, logistics providers around the world, many different suppliers around the world, right? Um, uh, Many governments cooperated. I mean, unbelievable collaboration and cooperation with with just about every government that we had gone through. So we we were really successful in uh, pulling together what I would classify as, um, you know, a mosaic of partners in order to really get this job done. And and the and the and the um, you know the great thing that we were able to do is you know really do this at the speed of science. 
That's really what we're up against is the speed mm. of science. So we talk about supply chain. The speed of science dictated our supply chain. And 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 let me tell you, the um everything that we were doing, you know, inside of Pfizer at the time is, you know, trying to do this in what you know we called light speed. That's really what we were doing. Yep. Uh well said, Jim. Um, being able to operate the speed of science and have the operational execution to enable that is is a uh, intriguing part of the story. Um, Kelly, um, really quick, there was a great Harvard Business Review article uh, we were talking about earlier today with uh, Greg White and Kevin L. Jackson, and it talked about how um, uh, technology and supply chain, it's, it's really technology's driving highly evolving relationships and partnerships uh, in global supply chain. That's kind of what Jim's speaking to, is what you and I were speaking to a minute ago. Uh, and it's remarkable what um, what good that would do for uh, consumers and markets alike. Um, one final thing before I turn it over to Kelly, uh, kind of going down the innovation path, Jim. I want to ask you about Esprit de Core. You know, as we have interviewed countless supply chain leaders from other organizations that were involved involved in different ways uh, in the noble mission to protect uh, humanity. Uh, whether it's vaccine related or or, or related in other um, activities, you know, time and time again, Kelly, I remember a couple of our interviews we did together. Um, you know, they folks would stop in the tracks and tell their leaders how how this is different. You know, this is um, this is this is I've got a whole new levels of purpose in what I do, and the esprit de corps and the camaraderie that came out of that was just those are some of my favorite stories. Jim, speak to that uh, and what you saw happen amongst the Pfizer team uh, as you uh, went down and, and fulfilled this noble mission? Yeah, we, you know, so, you know, it's like I said earlier, focusing on the patient, everybody knows a patient, right? And, you know, that patient may have a healthcare challenge for one reason or another. What COVID did was COVID sort of said, wait, we have a pandemic. So, 7.6, 7.7 billion people in the world could be impacted. So, um, so you know, that was a great sort of uh, gravity force for everybody in Pfizer. I think the other thing, too, is just, you know, again, you're, you know, we're headquartered in New York City. And, my God, the first quarter mm. of yeah. 2020 in New York City was just tragic just to walk around and to see what was happening. Um, and then, you know, people were losing family members. There was a lot of different emotional things that were occurring all over that really made this, you know, the great sort of forcing mechanism for everybody at Pfizer, you know, all 78,000 colleagues of ours. And everybody had some contribution. Even if you weren't part of the COVID vaccine, your job was to keep the base business running. Um Operating rooms still needed to occur, right? Uh, hospital areas, doctors, pediatricians, also, you know, all the frontline workers. That that kept going. So, you know, it's not like we were fortunate to sort of say, well, let's put the entire company behind, you know, the vaccine and then we'll stop everything else. No, that's not what we could do. We had to do both things at the same time, you yep. know, so... Remarkable. Uh, Kelly Barner, I'll tell you, uh, I wish we had several hours and hours with Jim and the team uh, because of, I can only imagine the book that became, that, came, that could be written uh, related to um, 
uh, this mission. But Kelly, where are we going next with Jim? So we're actually going to find out how all the things that we've talked about up to this point continue today and into the future. So Jim, you've talked about the innovative potential that already existed within the ranks at Pfizer and how that was accelerated so that you could, I think you said, move at the speed of science. You were working at light speed. You talked about how has that momentum around innovation continued to shape not only your team and your organization, but also what you can achieve going into the future? Yeah, so it, Kelly, it, it has forced us, you know, light speed and the light speed thinking has forced us to say, why can't we do this for everything? You know, we, and, and you know, I want to give a little bit of just context. During this whole project, we were, our corporation, and I can tell you, you know, the corporation in my particular situation, we they never said no. We put billions of dollars at risk. Walls were broken down. It it was okay not being in a conversation. It it broke down the entire paradigm of governance and how you should do things, right? So now the question is, is you know, now that we've done this for a product, and by the way, we've also it's it doesn't get as much sort of focus, but we also had a second light speed project for a product we call Paxlovid, right? So that is an oral uh, antiviral medicine. It was also brought to the market in world record time. But what it allows you to do is it allows you to say, well, if we can bring a vaccine to market in nine months, 10 months, why can't we do this for everything? Because at the end of the day, patients are waiting, right? Yeah. That's that's really the way that it's it's really fundamentally shifted the entire thinking uh, at Pfizer. Yeah, Kelly, I love that question. Why can't we do this for everything? I mean, that is going to be one of my favorite takeaways uh, from this conversation. Your thoughts, Kelly? Well, and it's funny, Scott, because what I actually thought of as Jim was sharing that was Amanda. Um, I know your wife, Amanda, has lots of inspirational quotes in the kitchen for for you and the kids. <laughs> and what the little plaque in my kitchen says, what would you try if you knew you could not fail? And it's that's a cute home kitchen witticism. But for Pfizer to do that as a global organization, that's an entirely different lift. Um, and I have to think from a mindset standpoint and a risk tolerance standpoint, like you said, it completely broke down the paradigm and allowed you to rebuild it in a way that I'm sure we'll be seeing positive echoes from for years and years and years. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. And I, I, I like that phrase. I'm going to have to steal that one too. What would you try if you certainly could not fail? We'll have to revisit that, Kelly. Um, all right. So <laughs> we're going to shift gears as we're coming down the home stretch with uh, Jim Caffone from mm -hmm. Pfizer, Kelly, what's one of the last couple of questions we're going to pick his brain on? We're actually going to kind of stay in a similarly spirited place. So, Jim, given everything that you've seen and experienced and all the lessons you and your team have learned, if you were speaking to someone that were early in their career in supply chain or who had recently shifted from another function to work into supply chain, what advice would you offer them? You know, the first thing I always like to say to anybody that's young, you know, first starting out in their career is find your purpose 
and go work for a company that hopefully shares that same purpose. Okay. Um, you don't have to work in healthcare. There's plenty of supply chains for water, food, um, anything you can to contribute to society, right? Um, so it's really finding your own personal purpose, your personal mission. Now, that's difficult at times for, for young, you know, graduates. Um, so what I always say is, is that don't sweat that out too much either. Because you can't really make a, a wrong decision in supply chain. Supply chain is a horizontal science. It's not a vertical science. Now, there's probably a lot of experts that would disagree with me on that. But <laughs> supply chain is a systems engineering world, right? You're bringing together all sorts of people, and you're building that mosaic tile um, that I that I showed earlier. So try everything out, and sooner or later, you'll find you know, an organization or something you're doing that fits the purpose that you want to do, but don't expect it the first time out or the second job or the third job. Yeah. You just have to continue to keep trying it. And it's one of the things that's kept me in healthcare. You know, I talked to a young student the other day that just got a, a, a position with a company, a water company that's, uh, you know, building filtration units for the emerging markets. I mean, there, there's nothing better than, than water. You know, if you think you need a vaccine, the first thing you need when you wake up is water. So, right. like, there's a lot of different things that people can do, but stay true to your purpose and, you know, accept the fact that it's going to take you a little bit of time to do that. Don't put too much pressure on yourself because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, supply chain to some degree is supply chain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair ad. I like the fact that you're saying, give it some time, you know, be on the lookout for your purpose, but don't expect it to be sitting on your desk your first day on the job. Cause it, it takes time. I know from my own journey, you slowly figure out how all these systems come together and operate. And so you may not even realize the total reach of the supply chain that you're contributing to until you've really kind of absorbed how it all works together. So I, I think that's a great piece of advice and I hope people take it. Agreed. And I like I like your thought there. It would be nice in this life if you could show up on, on Monday morning at your desk and your purpose be sitting there with a bow on top. I know. It'd make it so much easier, wouldn't it? Um, and hot What's that, Jim? <laughs> I said it takes time. You know, look, I'm an engineer and I never thought I'd ever work at a pharmaceutical company. And I wanted to go work in automotive. And, um, you know, I did for a while. Um but, you know, through many zigzags through your career, you find healthcare. That was me. Other people is different. So, yeah, it takes time. And, and that's okay. There's uh, half the time the fun is in the journey, not in the destination, right? Completely agree. Beautifully, uh, beautiful point to kind of wrap up today's conversation with. Um, really do, you know, we've seen so much. And I try not to be cliche over the last couple of years. You know, consumers have seen so much. Consumers have really learned so much more about industry. And let's hey, let's face it, some things just didn't work out. You know, we've we we've talked a lot about uh some of the some of the breaks in supply chain, different products. If you go in your local grocery store, you know, there's no shortage of stories there. But you know, Jim, really do appreciate uh what you and the Pfizer team and, and all the folks that made up the noble mission, you know, they told a much different story and educated and informed global consumers around why it's so important to be able to do what we do in, in supply chain. And, and of course, just the, um, the front end of that, the pharmaceutical story there is, is fascinating. That just, that's just, uh, 
another chapter to the story. So thank you for what you and the team continue to do uh, and appreciate your time here today. All right, one final question. Uh, two final questions. First off, Jim and and Kelly. Ke- Kelly's got it good. You know, she's in Boston. Um, Kelly, I believe you're a Patriots fan. You know, y'all have been spoiled, right? Trophy after trophy. Um, <laughs> I'm in Atlanta, Jim. So uh, the Falcons have had opportunities, but we're kind of going through the uh, a tough rebuild. So, Jim, that brings me to uh, a little fun question here. Are the Jets going to make the playoffs this year? Do you want to offer up a fearless prediction? Well, as a Jet fan, we always like to say they will, but we know deep down that it's always a tough way. It takes it takes some real true uh, bleeding green to convince yourself <laughs> that you may not make it, but that's okay. We go to every game, and uh, you know we always support the team. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hey, we're all uh, pulling for a return. Wasn't Vinny Testaverde leading the Jets during one of their playoff runs years ago? But we'll see how it plays out. I'm, I'm glad. I think we're all glad football is just about back with us. Um, finally, if folks want to, uh, you know, connect with you, learn more about this fascinating story that, uh, you know, we scratch the surface on here today, or if they want to learn more about different elements of, of the Pfizer story, some of the other things you mentioned, what's the easiest way folks can learn more? There's uh, so a couple of ways. Uh, so first of all, you could just go to Pfizer.com. A lot of what I said is already out there. Uh, secondary, uh, secondarily, there's a really interesting book that describes uh, the entire vaccine story of Pfizer. It's called Moonshot, right? And um, that was written by um, our CEO, and he describes basically um, – the uh, this entire story. So it's Moonshot. Uh, our, our CEO's last name is Borla, B-O-U-R-L-A. You can Google it, Amazon it. It's a great uh, read. Um, or you could certainly get a hold of me through LinkedIn, uh, email, any way, you know, to do that. And um, like all of us at Pfizer, we're, we're really here for patients. So, uh, you know, anything we can do to help uh, humanity in that way, we're always willing to do. So... Love that. Uh, Jim Caffone, Vice President, Pfizer Global Supply Chain. I got to tell you, uh, Jim, thank you for your time, first off. Thank you. It was great being here. And I could have talked to you all afternoon, too. I I agree (laughs) with you. (laughs) So much more. We'll have have to have you back. But hey, the automotive industry is lost, but certainly health care is gained. So I'm glad that uh, you found your purpose when you did and and just uh, amazed at uh, what you and the team have accomplished. So thanks so much for joining us here, Jim. Uh, While we still have Jim, uh, Kelly Barner, right before I wrap here, I'd love to hear your favorite takeaway from what Jim has shared here today. I think my favorite takeaway was, and Jim, you can correct me on the wording, but you talked about brave moments, I believe was the word that you used earlier. You know, it's, it's easy for all of us to sit here today and talk back over the last two years and Remember that it was real. I'm glad you took us back to what it felt like in March of 2020, Jim, because I think as a humanity, we're wired to try to get back to some level of stability and normal. But the decisions that were being made and the unknowns that the world was dealing with, those were very scary decisions that had to be made. And just thinking about the shift of risk tolerance and keeping the eye on the ball. I think that Moonshot is a great title for a book, understanding what was at stake and sort of making sure that the risk tolerance changed correspondingly. That is something that never ceases to 
amaze me. And, and I think it's good for all of us to be reminded on occasion just how uncertain it all was, but we still got to this moment that we're at now. Beautifully said, Kelly. Can I, a thousand percent. Uh, I know that's not a mathematical possibility, but I agree with you wholeheartedly in what you just shared there, uh, Kelly Barner. Appreciate what you do here and at uh, Dial P for procurement, art, uh, 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 art of procurement, you name it, buyer's meeting point. It's a big thanks for what you do and thanks for being here. Uh, so to our listeners, Hey, one heck of a story. Goodness gracious. Uh, and we're just scratching the surface. So, so as Jim suggested, check out those follow-up resources. Check out the book, uh, Moonshot, and learn more at Pfizer.com. Big thanks once again to Jim Caffone with Pfizer. Big thanks to my dear friend Kelly Barner uh, with the Supply Chain Now team and, and Dial P for Procurement. Make sure you look that up wherever you get your podcast from. But listeners, whatever you do, gosh, there's so many takeaways. I got about 17 pages of notes from what Jim shared here today. Take action. Hey, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Thank you.